0: to be talking about working in the world Jesus's way. And so to get our brains firing this morning, I'm going to start us off by reading a philosophical quote about the concept of work. Working nine to five, what a way to make a living. Barely getting by, it's all talking and no giving. They just use your mind and they never give you credit. It's enough to drive you crazy if you let it. Okay, are we thinking? juice is firing, there we go, okay, like what is the deal with work, you know, do you ever just like think about going to work every day, and you lay in bed, and your alarm goes off in the morning, and you're just like, I don't want to go to work, or like, I don't want to go to school, or I don't want to get up and get my child dressed, and do all those things, or whatever it is that's calling your attention that day, like, do you ever just wake up and think like, here we go again, Today we're going to be reading through sections of Jesus' ministry through a few chapters of the book of Mark, and there are a lot of amazing miracles and teachings that Jesus does that we hear all throughout Mark that's written and recorded there, but we're going to largely skip over the details of all of those things because today we're going to take a more general look at how Jesus went about spending his time and his energy while he was here on earth. So in Mark 1, Jesus begins his ministry, he's preaching, he's healing people, he's revealing himself, he's starting to get a bit of a following, he's getting really well known, he's in increasingly high demand, and so we're going to jump in at Mark 1, verse 35. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. And later Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. So Jesus gets up early to pray, and he was eventually interrupted, and then Jesus went back to the people, and when he goes back, he heals this man who has leprosy, and then that guy goes and he tells everyone about it, and then in verse 45, as a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. Then as Jesus continues his ministry in the next few chapters, his popularity increases even more. People are following him everywhere. He does a ton of amazing things. He's teaching things. He's healing people. Now we're going to skip to Mark 4, verse 35. As as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. His disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? If you've ever heard this story before, you would know that Jesus actually calms the storm. He speaks, and it stops, and it's amazing. But I think when I've read this story in the past, I used to think that Jesus could sleep through the storm because he was God, so he just didn't have any worries and was just sleeping peacefully. But now I actually think, when I'm looking at how he lived his life, and I think actually maybe he was just really tired. I think he was actually just that tired that he slept through this storm. So after this happens, Mark 5, verse 2, uh, 1 to 2, say they arrive on the other side of the lake in the region of Gerasenes, and when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. So the guy just gets woken up, he calms this storm, they get to the shore, and right away people are there asking for his time and attention. Then Jesus heals this demon-possessed man, and it's amazing. And then on to verse 21, Jesus gets into the boat again, and they went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Like, he doesn't get a break. So they get off the boat, and then there's this guy, Jairus, and Jairus is like, you got to come to my house. My daughter is sick. And so this happens in verse 24. Jesus went with him. All the people followed, crowding around him. So he's surrounded by people, and while he's on his way to go help this girl... Someone touches his robe. And then this happens, Mark 5.30. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Now, if you know this story, in the meantime, while he stopped and turned to talk to this girl, uh, to this woman, that girl, Jairus' daughter, actually died. But then he made his way to the house and said, no, she's just asleep, and raised her, and it was this amazing miracle. We're going to talk, we're going to come back to that specific miracle in a little bit, but for now, let's keep reading a little bit more in Mark. By the time we get to Mark 6, Jesus is sending his disciples out two by two to do this work. He's expanding their effectiveness. And then in 6, verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. And Jesus said, Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore to get there ahead of them. I wonder how long they just, like, floated in the water, just, like, rowing as slow as possible, just seeing the people going to the other side because they were so tired. And they just, okay, you take a break. Yeah, you, okay, you nap. Okay, I'll row. Okay, just so slowly. So then they get to the other side, they're meaning to find rest, knowing that there's going to be all these people everywhere. Verse 34, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. This is where Jesus miraculously feeds 5,000 people, people—five 5,000 men plus women and children, with five loaves and two fish. Then after that was done, verse 45 tells us immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat, and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, Jesus went up into the hills by himself to pray. Okay, so I think we maybe have a little bit of an idea. We're starting to see some patterns forming, and we're going to stop there and narrow down some things that we've observed in these few chapters. Because we could, keep, we could read the whole book of Mark, we could read all the Gospels, and we would still see this same pattern that we're going to talk about. When I observe the way Jesus lived his life, the way he did his ministry, there are three things that I notice that we're going to spend our time exploring further. Work is important and good. Rest is important and good. Work and rest are a disciplined balance. So that first one, work is important and good. First, I want to take some time to actually talk about what I mean when I say work is important and good. Work could be activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or result. That's like if you Google, what is work? That's what will come up. It's because that's what I did, so that's how I know (laughs) Now, the problem that I have with this definition and the reason I don't want to stop there is because this could be just about anything. And I don't think that any and all efforts or work done are necessarily good. And so because of this, I want to share with you a different definition that we're going to use this morning instead, and it's this. Work is the expenditure of energy, manual or mental or both, in the service of others, which bring fulfillment to the worker, benefit to the community, and glory to God. So, we're going to break this definition down, but I think this definition of work is helpful because it provides boundaries to what good work is. Work isn't just for personal gain. Good work isn't just for personal gain. Though there are definitely things, like maybe you're exercising for your mental health. That's really kind of just for you. Like, it's still good. It's not, like, technically for anyone else. But it's still good, because it's not just you working to gain more for yourself. It's not all about you. It's not just for your personal gain, the end. Right? So good work is the expenditure of energy in the service of others. But it can't stop there, because you could also do some pretty terrible things in the service of others. Good work also brings fulfillment to the worker. It's not manipulative or destructive for you to give your energy to, which is important. It's not just that you like it, it's that it's actually a healthy thing for you to be doing. Good work also benefits the community. I think there are a lot of obvious things that we would say benefit a community, but it could be something like being a plumber so someone can flush their toilets. It could be being a city planner. It could be being a preschool teacher. It doesn't have to be like a dramatic social justice initiative to say, I'm benefiting the community. It could be a lot of things that benefit a community. And good work brings glory to God. And this is where all the pieces of this understanding of good work come together, and I think you need all of those pieces to say that it's something that brings glory to God. And what I mean by that, I'm going to just like, we could talk, we could do a whole sermon series on that, but I'm just going to in one sentence say what I mean by bringing glory to God is to simply love God with your actions and do whatever it is that you're doing with him. That whatever you're doing, you're loving God with the way you do it, you're doing it with him. So now that we have this definition of good work for this morning, I want to be clear that I'm not criticizing anybody that has a job doing what might not be good work because it's what you need to do to provide for your family. If that's your genuine reality, please do not hear me say that what you're doing isn't good enough. I'd also encourage you to reach out to someone at SunWest. Talk to one of us, and let's see if there's something that we can do to help you so that you're not stuck in the sort of position where your work is harming yourself or it's harming other people. Sometimes a job is just a job. But where you find your fulfillment where you benefit the community, where you're bringing glory to God, is being a light in whatever environment you're in, in whatever kind of work you're doing. My husband is a school teacher. His name is Colin. And his work is in the service of others. It brings him fulfillment, benefits the community. I think a lot of people could be teachers, and that's not necessarily bringing glory to God. I think what brings glory to God in the way that he's a teacher is that it's the way that he conducts himself, towards his coworkers and his students. He's not constantly flaunting his faith. He's not telling it, like, throwing the Bible in their face, all these things, but people know that he's a Christian. People know he goes to church. They know why he is the way that he is. And people come to him and ask for prayer when their kids are sick. People come to him when they have questions about church or faith. People found out that he plays drums at church, and they're like, What? Churches have drums? I don't know if I'd ever go to a church, but if I did, I'd maybe go to Fiendster's church. They just were like mind-blown. But they know that because he talks about it. He's not flaunting it. He's just like, oh yeah, I drum. Well, He just talks about it. It's a part of who he is. And he's created a trusting relationship with them where they actually come to him and talk about his faith. And this is possible in any workplace. When I say workplace, I don't necessarily mean paid job. Whatever tasks you're doing, whether you're in school, whether you're working, whether it's at home, anywhere, you can be a light of faith and bring the fruits and the presence of the Spirit into the people and the relationships that you are with, and that is good work. I'm going to make one final comment on this definition before we keep going. If you're doing work that's mostly for your personal benefit, or isn't healthy for you, or isn't in a field that's beneficial to your community, or it's not beneficial to your family that you're doing it, or it isn't something that's glorifying to God, and you're in a position to have a say in that matter, I think it's worth evaluating why you're doing it. What's holding you if it isn't good work? So now that we have a bit of a group definition of good work, let's go back to thinking about what we read in Mark It's pretty obvious that Jesus worked. He worked hard. He did a lot of important things. He was a real important guy. But let's think back to Mark 5. In the story of the bleeding woman who touched Jesus' robes, Jesus stopped and talked to her, even though he was in a rush to go save a child's life. And when I read this, it made me think twice about how I define what is most urgent and important at any given time. In this chart, you may have seen a chart like this before. Basically, what you can do is you can put all the things that you have time have to give your time and energy to, whether professionally or at home or whatever you do, and you can put it in different quadrants of urgent, not urgent, important, not important, and you can use it to help evaluate if you're using your time in the right places. But how do we decide what goes where? Today in Mark, we got a glimpse of how often Jesus retreated to boats and went off to pray. And we see, if you're reading throughout all of Jesus' life through the Gospels, that he also knew Scripture. He didn't just like get it pre-downloaded in his brain because he's God. Like He's still a human who had to memorize Scripture, and he knew it. He was always taking time to be with the Father. And so in that moment, in what seemed to everyone like this urgent job of going to help this sick girl, which is still important— Suddenly it wasn't urgent for Jesus. Jesus was able to make a choice, and it wasn't on a whim. It was a choice that he made with confidence that he stopped and talked to this woman who had actually already been healed. Like, couldn't he be just kept going? Like, yeah, she got it. Sweet. Don't even have to stop. But actually pausing and talking to her was a part of her healing. Jesus was willing to be disrupted from his important, urgent work. His good, important, urgent work. Jesus wasn't too important to stop and see that woman. So when we're trying to figure out what sort of things we're giving our time and our energy to, and what's the most important, and what's the most urgent, I think being connected to the Father, being Spirit-led, is pivotal to this. And it's so important because there are so many things that call for each of our time and our energy. So many good things, sometimes too many things. My family has especially felt this in the last year between my husband and I. He's a full-time teacher. He's a youth leader. He's on one of our worship bands. He's a baseball coach. He's a school sports coach. I have my full-time job, which sometimes has weird schedules and things. I'm an executive board member with the ABMB, which is our church's provincial denomination. We have a home to maintain. I'm working really hard on our lawn right now. We have... (laughs) I'm really passionate about it. Just ask me about it later. Uh, Okay, anyways, we try to spend time together as a family. We really, really try to eat dinner together and make sure that that at least happens, if not going for a walk or just doing something, the three of us together, my husband and my son and I. And we have amazing friends and amazing family who we need and who we love and who we prioritize doing life with. And with all of these good, wonderful things, I am going to explode just with that good work in our lives. It's too much. And in life, some seasons are harder or busier than the other or demand more from you than others. But are there things in your life that you're in control of, things you can let go of, or maybe things that just have to wait? Colin loves coaching baseball. But we're evaluating how much he can keep giving his time to it right now in this season of our life, where he's often not home for dinners and bedtimes. And I'm really, really excited to be on our provincial denomination board with the ABMB. But before I got voted in in April, I actually asked to be a member in training, a board member in training, because I didn't want to have to be on extra committees and do all of these extra things because I just, I didn't want to take that time away from my family right now. I learned why there's not a lot of young people on boards. Because <laughs> I have a family to raise and I want to be on the board, but I can't just say, yeah, I want to do this, and there's a sweet opportunity, and it's good, so I have to do it. We need to be connected to the Father for making these decisions about what gets our time and our energy, or all of these good things that we could be doing easily can stop being good. There are a lot of things that are good work, but we can't do them all. Let's keep going. It may be tempting to think that Jesus only worked and we only work because it's just a part of our human condition. It's just the reality that we have. But I believe it's actually more than that for two reasons. One of them, the first one being that work existed before the fall. Genesis 1 goes to the creation narrative, and in Genesis 2.15 we read that the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. The NIV says to work it and to take care of it. Adam was also given the task of naming all the animals, and there was this work that Adam was given to do, and this was all before sin had entered the world, while everything was still perfect. Work is a part of God's good, perfect plan and his good, perfect creation. Genesis 2 brings us really easily to the second reason that I think more more than just a part of our human condition, and that's that God himself works. God, beyond his human form, works. Genesis 2, 2-3. to So in the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything, it was completed, and on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day, declared it holy, and then he rested from all his work of creation. And think, I think sometimes it's really easy to just imagine God like, sitting on this throne and just being like, do this, heal this, miraculous thing oof, you know, like a genie. But it's actually really comforting to me that God works. Because if God just, like, sat on a throne all day, I don't know about you, but that doesn't really feel like a God worth worshipping to me. God works. God is creator, architect, builder, healer, teacher, father, mother, child, counselor, king, peacemaker. These are good things God does. Good work. Work can be good. Now I'm a pastor, so you'd think at least of, you know, all the jobs out there, you know, I got good work. I just, I wake up in the morning and I think, ah, I'm so excited to do everything, everything I have to do today. So excited to go be a pastor today, especially on Sunday mornings. Sometimes I wake up on Sunday mornings and I don't want to come. Matt's on sabbatical, so I can say that, right? Or sometimes if I'm not working that day, I wake up and I think, I'm gonna spend the whole day with my toddler, and I'm not super excited about it. The work that I do is good work. Being a parent is good work that I get to do, but it doesn't always feel that way. So if the work that I have I know is good, then what's happened? Work has lost its goodness. Genesis 3:17 to 19. And to the man, God said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All of your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. So in this fall of humanity, we see in the creation narrative that part of the breakdown of shalom is that work is no longer good. If Shalom is an entirely new concept to you, we just did a 16-week series on it. You are welcome to go back and listen to it. But to say it in one sentence, Shalom is the perfect peace and wholeness in all spheres of life and existence with God, self, others, and the world. And in this breakdown of Shalom, we see from Genesis 3 that work became difficult. It was first a good thing that has lost its good place. This is why we need Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can ever hope for the way that we live our daily lives to actually truly be good. Because Jesus is the only one who can restore Shalom. We need Jesus to restore our existence to the way it was made to be, and that includes our work. So let's think about our work. This is the first question I wanted to ask ourselves this morning. How are you spending your time and energy? And is it good? You can ask this question if you have a paid job, if you're a student, if you're at home, if you're retired. How are you spending your time and energy, and is it good? We're going to come back to this question, but let's go on to a second observation from Jesus' life that rest is important and good through our Mark readings, we saw that Jesus rested, right? He rested because he physically needed it. We saw the lengths that he took to get it. Now, if Jesus himself needed to physically distance himself from his work, which, by the way, his work was like establishing the kingdom of God on earth, pretty important, don't you think that there might be a possibility that our good and important work might be something we also need to take a break from? Even if it's not for long, even if it's hard for you to make happen, if Jesus needed it, man, it sure must be important for me. Jesus rested. And Jesus' rest time, time and time again, looked like going off to pray. Jesus' good work was formed by his time resting, his time with the Father. other kinds of rest, because rest isn't just prayer and sleep and that's it. If I spend my rest time just scrolling on my phone or laying in bed for hours on end, which I used to do before I had a child and I kind of miss sometimes, when I used to do that, laying in bed, or when I still sometimes just scroll my phone for resting, I actually end up feeling like garbage. I feel exhausted from my resting. I think there's good work and I also think that there is good rest and what is good rest for you is not necessarily what is good rest for me good rest for me is going for walks it's enjoying food with my friends it sometimes looks like a bit of tv with my husband once our son is in bed because he had a full tantrum and it was a disaster and I just need to just like sit and just shut off for a minute and we do that some of you maybe hike which is a nightmare Um, But if that's restful for you, like, you're awesome. Congratulations. I'll stay at home and sit on my couch, and you can go hike. I'm so glad that that is restful for you, if that's your thing. It's not my thing. Cindy Spearing convinced me to go hiking with her once. I thought I was going to die. But it was fun. (laughs) But it was not restful for me. I think it was restful for you, not for me. What leaves you feeling Refreshed. What leaves you feeling refreshed? And it's okay if you don't like hiking even though you live in Calgary. We can be buddies. There are things for each of us that we can do that are restful things to do. But Jesus' rest time also did just look like sleep. We physically need to sleep. When we don't get enough sleep, it actually hurts us. Pushing through exhaustion is actually less productive When you're in your best state, your line of sight is wider, you're curious, you're creative, you're courageous. When you're tired, you don't have access. You physically do not have access to that wider vision. You literally physically don't see as many things and don't hear as many frequencies when you are tired. Our human bodies physically need rest. Now, that being said, I believe that work is more than part of our human condition, and I actually think that work is too. And I think that because God himself rests. And once again, I mean not just God as a human, but God in his whole self. Looking back to Genesis 2, 2 2-3, you probably noticed it. Jesus worked, uh, he finished his work of creation, and so he rested. He blessed the seventh day. He declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, do you think that God physically needed to rest? I mean, I'm kind of guessing on this, but I'm going to say no. I don't think he physically needed to rest, but he did it. And there's something about rest that is just a part of a healthy rhythm of existing. Something blessed, something holy, set apart. And I think it's the created purpose behind why our body shut down when we don't rest. It's a mechanism that God gave us to help us live and exist the way that he created us to. So my second question for you to ask this morning, for us to ask together, is, are you resting? And is it good? I recognize that there are certain seasons and realities that allow for more or less rest, but that being said, for me, I think sometimes not having enough time is an excuse that I make to not prioritize rest, good rest. Each se- season of your life, rest might have to look different, but even Jesus didn't stop, no matter how important and urgent and crazy his life was. There was people who were waiting to be healed from painful diseases and afflictions and all of these things who needed to be freed from demons and all of this stuff. That's some pretty important work. But he he kept trying to pull away. Is it because he didn't care? No. It's because he needed to rest in order to continue to do that good work. It's a constant effort that he made. And this brings us to our third and final observation for how Jesus lived his life and that's work and rest are a disciplined balance. We saw in Mark 6 that even though Jesus knew he and his disciples needed to rest and the Work was definitely still good and important. In this instant, it was actually urgent enough to come before his rest. He chose the good work instead. My husband and I have a two year old son. He's real cute. I'm learning what tantrums are, it's real exhausting. Um, but he mostly sleeps through the night, which is really nice. But sometimes he doesn't, and sometimes he needs us at 3 a.m., and 4 a.m., and 5 a.m., and then he wants to be up at 6 a.m., and it's really, really exhausting. But when that happens, I don't hear him screaming and go, Sorry, honey, Mommy needs her rest. My rest is important. We give up our rest for him. We give up our rest for the urgent and the important of raising and taking care of our son when he needs us too. But it also means when we need to do that, that we need to fight even harder to find rest in other places, to find rest in our days, to sometimes call my mom and ask her to take a day off work and drive to Calgary even though she doesn't even live here to take care of him because I'm so tired and I just need help because I need to get that rest. This is where being close with the Father, being in prayer, allowing the Spirit to define what your urgent and your important is, is so vital because not everything that anyone tells you is urgent or important to them is in fact urgent and important to you. It's a discipline to discern what you immediately sacrificed your rest for and what just isn't urgent. Because in that story of the bleeding woman and the girl who was sick, everyone around jesus would have said that girl you need to go that's what's urgent jesus made a choice because he was connected with the father to stop don't let rest fall to the bottom of your priority list because your work is too important jesus's work was important jesus showed us that rest is important And you need both. It's a part of existing. It's the way we were made. How are you spending your time and energy? Is it good? Are you resting? Is it good? Would you let God guide and redeem the way you spend your time and energy? Would you trust him enough all your good and important and urgent things to take good rest. I actually, um, some friends of ours, my family's growing up, they're farmers, and I remember them telling me that they always take a Sabbath every Sunday, no matter what. Whether it's seeding, harvest, didn't matter the season, they don't work on Sundays. Didn't matter if it was going to rain on Monday, they don't work on Sundays. And they trusted God with their good work to take good rest. I don't think I'm there yet. Would you let God guide and redeem the way you spend your time and energy? Would you trust him enough to actually take good rest? I want to be clear that this is not by our own efforts that we have good work or we take good rest. I'm not telling you do better, make your work better, work better, rest better, do all these things better. Actually, what I'm saying is let's invite Jesus into the way we live our lives so that he can restore shalom. This morning, we're going to close with a song called Open Up Our Eyes. And I think that it's really fitting that we close with this song because it reminds us that the burden actually doesn't fall on us. The burden already fell on Christ, and we get to invite him to help us experience the good work and the good rest that he designed for all of us in this life. And the reality is in this time, even the good work might still be hard, but we can invite him to do it with us, and we can invite him to help us find rest to keep going. We can invite him to help us live the life that he designed for us to experience when we do life with him until he returns, and after that too. Work is important and good. Rest is important and good. Work and rest are a disciplined balance. We were created to work. We were created to rest. This is a part of existing. And so would we invite God to help guide us to what we give our time and our energy to? Would we allow the Spirit to lead us to figure out what is urgent and what is important? Would you help the Spirit help Ask the Spirit to help you prioritize good rest, good sleep, whatever that might be. Prioritize spending time with God whenever you can. Would you invite God to restore the way that we are living in this world with our work and our rest? Would you let God guide and redeem the way you spend your time and energy? Would you trust him enough to actually take good rest? I would encourage you to spend time getting away from the crowds this week. Find your boat. Get in for as long as you have to give. If you need to row a little slower, if you really need to get to that other side, to whatever work you have to do, spend time with him and ask him how he's inviting you to exist with him, with your work, with your rest. God wants to do this life with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are fighting for us always. You have already done the work to redeem what is hard. And so we ask that you would be with us when the good work we're doing is really, really hard, when it's hard to get up in the morning to do that good work. We pray that you would help us find ways to keep going, that you would give us the energy we need to do the things you've called us to do and help us to figure out what you haven't called us to do. What it's okay that we don't do? And would you help us find good rest? Lord, if we don't know what good rest for us is, help us figure it out. Help us all spend time with you because you just want to do life with us. We thank you that you want to do life with us. You've already done the work. You are working. You are with us. We love you. Amen. Have a good week.